Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this week's episode, we explore the 2005 adaptation of Eon Flux. Okay, I am Sebastian and I'm here with Chris. Yeah, what's up? And welcoming back to the show, Rodney. Hey, Sebastian. Hey, Chris. Good to be back. How's it going, man? Tip top. If you don't already know, Rodney is the co-host of the Pod Forsaken podcast, where he recommends horror, uh, obscure, more obscure horror movies, stuff you'll find on streaming. Uh, what's your recommendation this show, Rodney? Oh, man. I wasn't, I just, I wasn't uh, prepared. Did we talk about The Dark and the Wicked? That was my favorite. No. I recommend The Dark and the Wicked. It's from the the director of The Strangers. Oh, cool. Yeah. I like uh, Brian Bertino. Brian Bertino. I mean, it is a grim movie. You know, like if you're in the mood for a feel bad, you know, supernatural movie, The Dark and the Wicked delivers. Well, who's not in the mood for a feel bad supernatural movie? <laughs> I mean, how could you not be? You're trapped at home. You can't see friends. You can't do anything. <laughs> Don't you just want to feel terrible? <laughs> yeah. You feel hopeless already. Why not pile on to that feeling with the what is it called? The Dark and the Wicked? Yep. I love this movie. Cool. You should check out uh, Pod Forsaken Podcast featuring Rodney. But yeah. we're not here to talk about that today. We're today we're here to talk about the 2005 adaptation of Eon Flux. Now, I'm pronouncing it Eon because that's how they pronounce it in the show in the movie. So, that's what I'm going to say is Eon Flux, even though it looks more like Aeon Flux. And if you see it written, people sometimes write it with that weird AE that's sort of attached. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know what that means, but yeah, I don't know. Is is the is the hybrid AE an actual like letter that or is that just like a cool looking thing they decided to do? My guess is it's just a cool looking thing. Fair enough. Before I watched the movie, I guess in my head it was always Aeon Flux. Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah, too. That's what I would always say. But in the movie, they say Eon. So I, I think maybe it is Eon. Do you have any history with the uh, Aeon Flux cartoon that was on MTV in the 90s? Very little. I mean, I, I was aware that it existed and I've seen a couple of the shorts, you know, back like when they were, they, they would be short, like five to 10 minutes. It was on liquid television, I believe. Yep. So like, you know, obviously we're all around the age where we all watched a lot of MTV and I would catch it from time to time. And every time I would be like, I feel like I'm missing something. What is this? Totally. It's cool. But am I supposed to understand and I understand that later they made it into like a full length animated show. But really, all I know about Eon Flux but prior to watching the movie is she's like clad in black leather and she runs around like a robot wasteland shooting people. Yeah, I watched a few episodes uh, on liquid television. It definitely appealed to me on a basic sort of aesthetic level. 
But like you, I couldn't really understand what was going on. I always felt like I was missing something. So I'm totally in the same boat as you. Chris, I know you're a fan, right? Yeah, I'm a big fan. And oh. I was like primed for this this animation to come on liquid television because, you know, my brother and I, um, both of us were born in the Philippines and we would go back and forth to the Philippines like every summer and our cousins would turn us on to like all the Japanese animation that would be, you know, coming into them like Mazinger Z and Voltron and um, Voltus 5. So we were like, we would get videotapes of, of animation and we were total comic book nerds and knew these Korean guys who, you know, would get bootleg videotapes of anime and they would never be subtitled. So we would watch it not knowing the story, just getting, you know, not understanding any of the dialogue. But yeah. We'd just be into it because, you know, we were starved for any sci-fi or any sort of animation that was um, that was cool at the time. So, you know, I literally saw Akira with with no subtitles for the first time and just my brother basically explaining the the plot points to me. So when Aeon Flux came on and it's all crazy and we were just like, this is great anime. This is great. We don't care. And, you know, it just was a great thing to see. And to see it on MTV at the time was like, you know, very exciting for us. And Liquid TV to me was kind of the ultimate, um, you know, my brother went to art school and that felt so, you know, fresh and, you know, it had punk rock and, art involved in it and was on late at night and it just felt like you know the coolest thing to me now uh peter chung was the creator of uh, of eon flux right yep yes oh yeah 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 have you like followed his work or do you know anything sort of about him as a creator a little bit um he has he kind of he's one of those obscure misunderstood auteurs i think you know i mean he he definitely had fights with MTV and, and he did this thing like a, a very strange, like very Aeon Flux looking reinterpretation of Alexander the Great, huh, like the okay. story of Alexander the Great. And it's just very weird. And um, I haven't watched it. I just watched the trailer of it. And um, but yeah, I mean, he did Matriculated, which was one of the um, Animatrix um, shorts, yeah. which was very good. Um, and then I think he did... Oh God, what's uh, Chronicles of Riddick? I think he did like Dark Fury Chronicles of Riddick. He directed one of those things. And then I think he did a whole bunch of like, you know, commercials. Like every now and then you'll see like an animation that that has his style and you'll be like, oh, I bet that's Peter Chung. But my theory is that he's so adamant about having it his way. And, you know, I'm not interested in story. I'm interested in, you know, in feelings and ideas. And, and I pro probably got so turned off by this experience of this movie that he had wanted nothing to do with Hollywood. Yeah, that makes sense. That happens to a lot of guys of, of that kind of caliber. I'm pretty sure he also worked on the Rugrats. Oh, did he? Or, or just Rugrats. Yeah, I, I think know. that's right. Oh, interesting. I mean, I don't know in what capacity, like whether he was, a, I don't even know what the term would be, a staff animator or if he was like the lead guy, but that's the only thing I know about Peter Chung. Yeah, he works in, in Japan as well. Like I feel like he ping pongs back and forth between Japanese animation and, and American animation. I read a, a like there was a brief interview where he apparently he said he was so tired of like he hated working with the Rugrats because they were so small and so like it didn't give him a lot of movement with them and that's why he made Eon Flux so tall and skinny and have such long legs. Oh, okay. So like James Cameron should work on like a, a Hobbit movie after Avatar. Yeah. And like, you know. Or... So I mean, there you go. It was great. It was great talking to you guys. I think we got enough, <laughs> though, right? <laughs> 
Oh, you're not getting out that easily, Rodney. <laughs> oh, God. You're like Jigsaw. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about a movie. Like Jigsaw, I'm going to play a game, and we're going to play the game of bring back a director we've already talked about because we have here Karen Kusama making her second appearance on Tentpole Trauma. Um, she yeah. deserves some sort of award for this. Uh, she <laughs> Later, she directed a movie that we previously talked about, Jennifer's Body. We're fans of her work. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting her. She's a cool person. And uh, she directed this, although I'm not really sure how she got involved in this project. I, I assume she just uh, liked the anime. Well, first of all, I think it's funny. I was also on your Jennifer Bodies episode. So apparently I'm the Karen Kusama guy. Yeah, you totally are. Every time we talk about one of her movies, you have to be on. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't actually know how she got involved. All I know is that this was her second film coming off of Girl Fight. And I think her agent like put her up for it. I was, I mean, I was trying to do a little prep for this, this, you know, episode. And I read that she was like the only director who came in with like, mood boards and anything even resembling a pitch right and the executives were just like that's better than anyone else has done right yeah but i don't actually know if she liked the show eon flux do you either of you guys know why this was even made like why why did they pick this to make a movie out of it's called money sebastian yeah but this wasn't a big property or anything like that yeah i i don't know especially because like eon flux was in the 90s right so it's yeah. like 10 approximately 10 years after it what was no longer relevant which is how hollywood does it right like yeah you want a sonic the hedgehog movie you just gotta wait 30 years <laughs> and then my friend will write it someone at the studio wanted to make you know like the, their blade runner or something cool and edgy probably and yeah and thought it was a cool property and i easily see how if you watch those those animated shorts you could be like we could make a really cool movie here and like it could be our next matrix i see how yeah. you could start off on matrix this, there you go picturing a like, you're going to get a cool fucking movie. I think you've nailed it right there. I think it was the post-Matrix thing. I think they were probably looking... Because Matrix was so heavily um, anime-influenced. Uh, and I remember around this time... I mean, it's been kicking around for years, but they were talking about the live-action Akira. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio was going to star in it. And that, that was all happening around this time. So I think it's a combination of, like, the comic book film coming into its own and the Matrix making anime like cool for the big screens. And I think that's how you end up an Aeon Flux. You know, what's really weird. Just imagine for a second, if like there was an American museum and someone just had like their version of the Mona Lisa hanging up, right? Like no one would give a fuck about going to see that. You'd be like, no, I want to see the original thing. That's sort of what remakes are like, if you really think about it, right? Well, there's also an animation to live action tr translation that I think everyone gets excited about. Like if someone were to like, here's a photograph of the actual Mona Lisa, you'd kind of want to see that, you know? So would I? <laughs> Do you? Yeah, just to see what she actually looked like. You know what I mean? Like, like what if the actual person that he drew, there was a photograph of that person? I see what you mean. I thought you meant a photograph of the painting. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why are you so excited about this idea? <laughs> Okay, I follow. I think that's kind of the thing is people want to see these things. It's the same thing with com like comic book characters. They want to see them realized in quote unquote three dimensional, you know, with actors playing them and stuff. Sure. So, I mean, I kind of I get excited about that kind of stuff. I get excited 
you know, I'm super pumped to see the Moon Knight TV show because I love the character Moon Knight and I can't wait to see him in live action, even though I'm completely baffled as how they're going to pull it off. So I get it. But aren't you tired of being disappointed? Like there there have been. It's been getting better. Plenty of it. So, I mean, yeah, it is a risk, you know, now it's sure. just like, do you want your dreams to come true? I definitely don't ever want to see an Akira live action because there is, to your point, Rodney, there is a perfect movie called Akira. And if you just want to see it, just watch that one. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. It already exists. And like what makes it magic is the fact that it's animated, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, I'm not going to say that you can't pull it off. Obviously, it has happened, right? And I think the Marvel movies are a very good example, right? But I think there's something different between, like, a comic book and an animated film or animated series. Yes. Like, like I don't want to see a live-action Simpsons movie. I think that'd be really terrible, oh, right? Oh, yeah. And there's a reason they haven't done that. So mm -hmm. what they should have done is just made a 90-minute animated Eon Flux movie. But I understand that yeah. in, 2000, in 2006... Adults didn't pay to go see animated movies. They just didn't. So yeah, the the audience is bigger for a live action movie. So there's more mm -hmm. of a financial incentive now. When this movie this movie actually came out, not to correct you, Rodney, but it came out in 2005. My bad. Did you see it in 2005, Rodney? No, my this was the first time I've ever seen it for this show. Whoa, cool, a newbie. Now, Chris, did you see this in the theater in 2005? No, I did not. You know, I was a big fan of the anime and obviously the reviews came out like so many people slagged this movie. It was it was brutalized by critics and, and all the fans that I knew. So I didn't want to go see my, you know, beloved, you know, anime trash. So it, it took me a while until it came on video. And then I kind of almost just rented it as a lark. You know, I was like, hey, let's just this. How bad can this be? This will be fun. Um, got really, really stoned and was kind of blown away by like how much I enjoyed it because I didn't think that I was, you know, my, when expectations are that low, you know, great things can happen. <laughs> yeah. I uh, did not see it in the theater when it came out, but I was definitely curious. And then when it came out on video, I uh, rented it and watched it. And I kind of felt a little bit like, do you remember that movie Ultraviolet that came out around the same time oh, yeah. with Mila Jovovich? Yeah. There was kind of a whole spade of kind of like female-led dystopian yeah. kind of action movies. Yeah, Underworld, was that around the same yes, time too? Yeah, there was a whole kind of, this was kind of a thing at, the, at this yeah, time. Yeah, in tight clothes and yeah. Yeah, and it kind of, like I thought it was better than, than either Underworld or uh, Ultraviolet. But I just kind of was like, eh, it was okay. And it didn't really make mm -hmm. much of an impression. And I have watched it like maybe once or twice since then. And sometimes like when I try to watch it, I just kind of get lost and get bored. But then when I watched it this time, really paying attention to it, I actually kind of found it rewarding. But uh, anyway, so why don't we uh, get into the movie? Let's talk about it. All right. Uh, first off, it's an MTV movie. It's made by MTV. So I thought that was uh, interesting that they must have held on to the rights and had some sort of production credit on the movie. They, they definitely did. I, I Peter Chung's given interviews where he said, you know, don't blame me for, you know, what happens to this property because he doesn't own it. I'm sure he was put on as a consultant or created the characters or whatever, but basically he had nothing to do with it. But anyway, we get a very common thing in the intro here. We get a sort of little bit of text that explains in 2011, there was a virus that killed almost everyone, which is, you know, not the most 
comforting thing to start your movie in in 2021 no Uh, shit yeah um, i was like this this is grim yeah (laughs) but this one killed 99 percent of all humanity which is a lot of people so that made me feel much better i'm like oh we're not even near that percentile (laughs) somebody named good child makes a cure bregna which is a really strange name for a city is the last city on earth and it's surrounded by wilderness full of i don't know what but it's bad and this good child dynasty uh rules over it for 400 years and then they're of course because they are this dynasty ruling over everything these rebels emerge to challenge the regime and this we all get in text yeah then we get this uh this opening which is taken from the cartoon where a fly flies into a woman's um, eyelashes and she grabs the fly with her eyelashes. I mean, that's the image everybody remembers from the cartoon. And we get our introduction to Aeon Flux as played by Charlize Theron. Chris, how do you feel about Charlize in this movie? She's okay. I mean, I'm glad if if this is what it took to get her to Furiosa, I'm all for it. You know, Uh I mean, I, you know that, she really could do the action, and I don't know if we want to get into the action scenes, but it, so I mean, it's clear that she she could do the action scenes. I think she's fine. I don't think her look is quite severe enough for a faithful translation of, yeah. of the, how she's drawn. I think uh, Peter Chung said he wanted a uh, Famke Johnson. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense as a proper look, and also I, for me personally, I remember when Lara Flynn Boyle got really, really like dating Jack Nicholson and she got really, really skinny. <laughs> I was like, that's, she could have played her too. I don't know how her action skills are, but that would have um, been terrible. That wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't do the hair. Uh, cause that's very, um, you know, iconic, but, um, you know, Charlize pulls it off. It's, you know, it's, it's a different eon. So if you go with her version of it, I'm, I'm down with it. Yeah. So like everything I'm going to say during this, I'm I'm not comparing it to the animated thing at all, right? So I'm going to let go. She she doesn't look like that character, right? But a big, I mean, a big part of it is that the writing is so bad that she doesn't have a character. So it's hard to yeah. like. At the end of the day, I think the 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 phrase "she's fine" sums it up. She's Charlize Theron. She's a good <laughs> actress, but like, I didn't feel like she was a real person, and I think this might be one of her worst performances. She's still okay. It's just mm. that, like, most of the time, she's, like, very deadpan and monotone. Super deadpan. And she, she, she doesn't bring any kind of, like, charm or wit or emotion to the character, so I don't really give a fuck. No, I totally agree that it's really, really deadpan, almost robotic performance, and I feel like that is intentional because we later find out what the truth is of all these people, yeah. and I feel like they're, that's a deliberate artistic choice, and I think it's a poor one. Because I think ultimately, like, like you can sit back and maybe intellectualize it and say, well, but this is why she's so unemotional. But it doesn't fucking matter because you're like, I can't connect to this person because she's not emotional. But like as an action movie mannequin, I think she pulls it off. And like, yeah. I think one of the fun things about watching this movie, and I think when I first saw it, I thought it was ridiculous but now watching it again, I'm like, oh, what this movie brings to the table is this crazy fashion thing going on where, you know, everybody, including Charlize, is wearing like, you know, things that look like they stepped out of like a runway, some crazy Jean-Paul Gaultier runway show or something, clothes nobody would really wear that are entirely impractical. 
And so I kind of take it as like, oh, she's just kind of doing like a runway model action hero where she's going to wear cool clothes and jump around and stuff. But like in terms of emotionally, I don't connect to her at all. Yeah, they, they totally missed the dynamic between Trevor Goodchild and Eon, which was in the anime, which was, you know, it was much more of a noir thing. It was like, oh, you know, there was this attraction, this dangerous attraction, and everyone would one-up each other, and they would, you know, here, it's it's like you were saying, it's it's got that weird sort of distance where, are we talking about the spoiler? Yeah, let's, well, let's hold off, but yeah, there's a secret to humanity that we'll get to. But I understand why you're saying that, you know, she's withheld from her true feelings because of that spoiler and right. so it's an odd choice i mean you it's correct to play it and on subsequent viewings you're like oh i kind of get what's happening here but yeah if on the first viewing you're just like she's just a robot that's it's totally flat and it doesn't it doesn't have any of that um i don't know noir i keep just feeling like their relationship is supposed to be this you know noir femme fatale thing and that's where the deadpan should have been and not just robotic deadpan yeah, I didn't definitely did not get any noir element from it at all. So, if that was important to the anime, then I don't I definitely feel like it's not here. But what is here is more uh, sort of expositionary setup, which is kind of awkward because we just got like a screen full of exposition, and now we're getting kind of that repeated because Charlene mm -hmm. narrates that like nature has retaken the outside world and. People are haunted by memories, which is new information we didn't get. But, you know, people are disappearing. You know, they're being disappeared by the government. But there are rebels, which we also got from the, like, give us some information mm -hmm. here and some information. You're doubling down on information here in some of these areas. And I found that to be kind of a little bit, you know, redundant. I've never seen a movie that starts with, like, words on screen, you know, prologue and then voiceover prologue. Just be like... Here's more info. I was like, what are we doing? Just pick one. No, I totally felt that. And I felt like Charlize's voiceover was fine. Like you could have just gotten it all out there. You know, yeah. we, didn't, we didn't need start with the eye image because that's what everybody knows, even though it doesn't make sense. Why is she catching a friggin' fly yeah. in, her, in her eyelashes? That was one of my problems, too. I mean, there's so many cool like it is a cool image, but then that's where you have her, you know, eat the fly and then it's a message or something right. like that. Like it totally should have tied into something. And the original anime is always starts in media res. You know, she's chasing somebody. She's in the middle of something. And like you said, you, you, they never explain anything in the anime. And, and this is such the opposite of what that was, where everything was, you know, subliminal subconscious. Like you had no idea what was going on, but you had fun watching it. And only after like two or three, you know, viewings, would you understand what was happening? This is, in completely the other direction where it's just yeah. giving you way too much useless um, exposition and it's just not as fun to watch. It's giving you a lot of information and not a lot of emotion, which I think is not a great, not a great combination, especially like with something that's like a really world built sci-fi thing. And I understand because this, this world is really world built and I can appreciate mm -hmm. that because I actually like some of the world building. It gets really kind of crazy and I can appreciate that. But like you need to give me some emotion with it or else it's, it's, it's a hard thing to swallow, you know. And it reeks of like, you know, studio interference where they're yes. like, hey, we need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Put another thing there. Put another, you know, and like somebody wrote the narration and then some other guy wrote the, uh, the, the intro text. And, you know, there definitely were different cuts to this movie. You know, I think. 
Karen had her cut. And then I think the studio went and hacked it up to like under 90 minutes or something like that. And then there was the compromise cut that that finally came out. But um, I'd be curious to see what her director's cut would have been. So apparently her original version was more like an art house film, uh-huh. right? Like apparently like it clearly had all it still had action scenes in it, but she was going for like more of like a like a love story thriller based on the reading I've done. Right. But then after she shot the movie and edited it, there was like a change in leadership at Paramount Studios and they got like a like either I don't know, new head of the studio or like some new bigwigs came in and they did not have any attachment to the project as the previous people did. Yeah. So they said this isn't an action movie and they basically kicked her off the project. And they recut the entire fucking thing. And they got it to down to 72 minutes, apparently. There we go. Wow. And they said, hey, they called up Karen and they said, hey, Karen, uh, it's too short. Can you come in and re-edit our re-edit, right? But apparently they were so protective of it or so untrusting of her that they would never let her be alone with the editor. There was always some executive or someone in the room. And so apparently they like the film you see is not Karen Kusama's film. Like right. she almost took her name off of it. She hates it. The writers hate it. That's the that's the real best way to get creative work out of people is to have somebody you know looking over their <laughs> shoulder. Yeah. You know. But I also oh, I will we will never know right unless for some reason they release the Karen Kusama cut. Yes. But I don't think I think our instinct sometimes is to be like, man, if they had just stuck with Karen Kusama's version, we'd have a great film. I think oh, yeah, you might yeah. have gotten an, a different bad movie, you know? Sure. I would love to see it. I want let's let's make that, you know, hashtag trend. Release the release the Kusama cut. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, so we get Aeon break. What we find out about Aeon is she's part of this rebel group called the Monoc Monacans. Is that where, or Monacans? Monacans. Monacans. Yeah, I just watched the movie and I've already forgotten how to pronounce it. But um, she's one of this group, and they um, she gets these miss- missions sent to her via these sort of biologic pills or whatever. Um, did you catch that the guy who makes out with her and gives her the pill is Stuart Townsend? Is it really Stuart Townsend? I believe that's him because they were together around this time, and it's because just my this wife little... said that, but then I didn't see I didn't see huh. his name in the credits. But maybe maybe it's just a cameo. Yeah, I think it was just a cameo. They were together at the time, and I think he just, you know. Sure, I'll make out with you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. She had to make out with somebody, so it might as well have been her boyfriend. Fair enough. He almost played Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, and thank goodness he didn't, because he would have not have yeah. been good Aragorn. She gets a mission from Francis McDormand as the handler. And it's so funny because last night, Jen and I just watched that uh, Nomad Land. That oh, so good. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's a double McDormand feature. Like, couldn't be two different <laughs> performances. Yes. Yeah. Talk about different. Like, okay, so this character, I, I have a few questions because does she only. No, no. Sebastian. That's not a character. She's not a character. <laughs> She's barely worth talking about, but we can talk about her. But Frances McDormand is wasted in this movie. Oh, yes. of course. She's totally wasted. And not, well, and not, okay. So she's this character that exists in this, you know, I don't know, mental space. It's not a physical reality. You take a pill or whatever, and then you go get briefed by her. But we never know if she's a real person or if she's some sort of construct or what. And she never, um, to spoil the end of the movie, she never gets her comeuppance. She just mm-hmm. is in the movie. And I, I imagine that 
whatever is supposed to happen to her or whatever explanation we're supposed to get of her is just been cut out of the movie. But Charlize sort of comes before her in this sort of like almost monastic attire in this non-reality and then gets a job, basically an assignment. So she's she's got to go do this thing in the real world. And then meanwhile, her sister, Una, really wants her to come to dinner because she's got something to tell her. But Eon's like, no, I can't come to dinner tonight. I've got to do this thing. This character was not in the animation. That it, The handler character? Yeah, it was kind of like a full construct of this, the movie made, yeah. Well, I get why you would come up with this character because you need somebody to sort of be in charge of the rebels, which is what she is, I guess. Right. But we're we're never given any real explanation as to if she's a real person or whatever. Maybe she's Aeon Flux going back in time and giving herself orders. See, that would be fine. I'd take that explanation. <laughs> Rodney, did you you said like you understood what, what her character was. Was she just a construct of like what that old man at the very end created? I know I wasn't saying I understood. I'm saying she's not a person or a character. I, what I'm saying is right. like, yes, I understand that Francis Dorman is like the head of the assassin group or the rebel right. group. And she hands out missions. And that's all she is. Like, is she actually like sitting in a hollow sphere somewhere else transmitting? That's or what I'm she, saying. Right. Or is she... Or does someone like type shit in a computer and it comes out appearing like Francis McDormand in the whatever, you know, the, yeah. the, the void? That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's never answered, I don't think. It's like, look, I, I don't care because it's like we just got to get the movie rolling. She's got to give yeah. her a fucking mission. I get it. But it's also like you hired Francis McDormand. Give her a fucking push, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it made me think of Captain Marvel, right? And Captain Marvel, she like goes into a the mind space and talks with right. Annette Benning, right? Yeah. But Annette Benning seems like a real person with emotions, yeah. right? Whereas Frances McDormand looks like she took like six Xanax and is just reading off a cue card. <laughs> yeah, they probably had her for like four hours and just wanted to blow through it and just yeah. be like, just put her in the movie. And but honestly, I don't know if like I felt like she needed a comeuppance because you know, you know, Sick Boy is is the real villain, and you know, I feel like honestly, at by the end of the movie, it, it I feel like the old man should have just been her at the very end of the movie, you know what I mean? That would have made more sense. I, I'm not even saying she needed to get, like, killed or something. I'm just saying some sort of explanation conclusion. should have been, yeah. some sort of conclusion to her character. As it is, she just, please, she just blinks out of existence. She doesn't yeah. even factor into the end. So uh, Eon breaks into this facility to, uh, she's supposed to, is this when she's, she's supposed to put, like, a bomb in, like, a pool or something? She's wearing this white cat suit, which is really not the kind of suit you want to wear for, like, a stealth mission in the dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's weird. She wears a black suit for the rest of the movie. Yeah. But on her nighttime mission, she's like, let's go with the white one. Not a great uh, choice, but she does look good in it. We get sort of a, a first taste of the action here. Now, here's what I'll say about the action. I feel like the actual, when it comes to actually fighting the action choreography, that sort of stuff is not good. But I do enjoy this sort of gymnastic element that's been put mm-hmm. into it where she's doing flips and like Kusama really pushes it in that way where it's and I and I feel like that's a, you know, homage to the anime of uh, the action is really based a lot on movement and physicality. And so and even though it doesn't look real, you can obviously tell like a lot of times there's wire work going on and it's super sort of um 
stylized, but I can at least appreciate that part of it, that it's a different sort of approach to it. But when you get to the actual like kicking and punching, it doesn't, it's not good action directing. So Kusama also said that like, basically that's the studio's fault. Like she apparently, she shot it in these really elaborate choreographed sequences. Mm -hmm. And then the studio chopped it into this like fast paced editing style. Where like, I, I gotta tell you, I think my number one complaint about this movie is the action sequences. Yeah. I, I, I disagree with you, Sebastian. I think they are fucking terrible in almost <laughs> every moment. I think everything about anytime someone's fighting in this movie, it's laughably bad. There might be there might have been like one part somewhere I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But like yeah. about halfway through I said, you know what's you know what makes a good action scene? If you would if you would like bring your buddy over and you'd say, dude, I gotta show you this, and you fucking like put on a scene from the raid, right? And you go check sure. that out, right? What scene in Eon Flux are you showing to your buddy and being like, look at that flip kick, that's amazing. But I'm not really disagreeing with you. I'm saying that that part of it, the part of it that is contact with other human bodies, is not good. I'm just saying the element of movement that she tries to employ, I at least gives it credit for being something. Yeah. Different. They're cool ideas and they're mostly just lifted. They're lifted from the anime. You know I mean? Like the, yeah. the girl with, you know, hands for feet can like, you know, do all these crazy sort of monkey climbs and jumps. And these are all cool ideas. It's just executed so poorly with the editing to cover up any sort of viewing of any like real athleticism from any of these characters. You know, there's there's yeah. a great example. I think it's from like Taken 3 or something like that. It's on YouTube. Just look up uh, like Liam Neeson jumps over a fence and it's Liam Neeson jumping over a fence. And there's 13 cuts <laughs> in, in like a 10 second motion and it's basically the same cutting style as this where it's just like there's not enough you got to keep cutting it's like all right we have this angle we have that angle and you're just like this is fucking ridiculous just show me Char we know Charlize can do action at least now after Furiosa and Atomic Blonde let's see her do the action I think like if if it was edited better we would have seen more and like the action could have been really cool like I think there's you know, there's there's a few cool ideas where she, you know, turns a little like, you know, eggplant or whatever that thing is that's shooting out darts and like and shoots the other darts. And, you know, yeah. Aeon actually shoots like these bad guys through the little visor that, you know, that they have. And so I'm like, oh, that's actually cool. Like she's actually has to aim around their armor, which is unusual. Hello, stormtroopers. You just shoot them anywhere and they die. You know, at least this has something going for it. And when she grabs like. The glass has to, you know, cut them underneath the armor. So there are moments of where you could see, like, maybe this could have been good. There are a couple of moments. I, I, I will agree with that. What I do like about it, and I think this sort of ties into the movement elements of it, is that, you know, this sort of world building aspect with all these sort of strange weapons and delivery systems and stuff like that, like, it really kind of takes you a minute watching the movie to even understand sometimes like what is like going on. Like, you know, she goes into this room and sets up this kind of like rope grapple thing and then goes down into this pool that's got like people's memories in it or something. And then yeah. she drops this like egg bomb into it and then it like sort of explodes or whatever. Does I that mean, pay off at all? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Please. Someone explain to me what happened there. I have no idea. <laughs> what is the pool of memories? What does the egg bomb do? It's no not really idea. relevant because it has nothing to do with the actual plot of the film, which starts right. after this mission. Yes. It's just to show you that she she's like good at doing missions. It's a holdover from the anime, which had so many wild ideas. And here they're trying to like shove these wild ideas into something that actually makes sense. 
And, you know, when, when that was in the anime, it was so much more compelling because literally she goes into a room, there's a guy, there's a figure who's vibrating very quickly, right? And she's like, what is going on? Why is this weird figure in the room just vibrating really quickly? She puts on the belt and then she starts vibrating at the same rate as the other guy. And then the rest of the room starts vibrating and then the, the figure becomes clear. And it's such a great visual. Well, they do that later when she goes into his study and then. Right. That's the scene I'm talking. I'm talking about. But then in addition to that, she climbs into this person's stomach and then there's a whole other like red carpet room in there. And it's so much more just like dreamlike than what they have here. And, and like my point is basically that you guys are confused. You're almost like not confused enough. Like if you're going to make the real Aeon Flux movie, go ahead and make it trippy as hell. So you're just, your mind is blown. You know, it should be like Holy Mountain or something like that. Whereas, you know, they're kind of just straddling the line and still trying to make it make sense. Yeah, well, it doesn't make sense in this moment. Like I feel like after this, things pretty much make sense. But this moment which I feel is they're just like like Rodney said, setting up this look how badass she is, yeah. you know, and giving you this sort of non sequitur mission, but it makes no sense, and I have no idea why they why she does it, and they don't explain it. It's kind of just a bad ripoff of Mission Impossible. Just have her descend on a wire and do this thing, and yeah. Anyway, so what happens after this is that her sister Una gets killed. She gets disappeared or murdered or whatever by the bad guys who we haven't really even met yet but we're we're assuming that it's Trevor Goodchild and his like group of scientists um and that is sort of our inciting incident but then it does a weird thing where it like jumps a year later or something and then we get Charlize waking up in bed and she's wearing this like weird <laughs> looks very uncomfortable nightwear that's like beads just barely covering her body and, you know, she's drinking blue stuff and, you know, she gets this call on her ear. Her ear starts glowing because she's getting a call from Franny D, you know, and now she's getting another assignment to kill Trevor Goodchild, which you would have thought would have just been the first assignment. <laughs> like, right. Like, yeah. why are we like, why didn't you why didn't you start with killing him instead of like waiting a whole year? One of the big problems here is even though they say the government is bad they never really show me the government. Like, it feels like there's seven soldiers in the entire city, right? Yeah. Uh, who's Trevor Goodchild? Didn't he, like, cure the disease? Like, why does he need to be killed? Like, I'm not on her side because I don't feel like this government official has done anything bad. And furthermore, is he, like, the king? Is he the almighty ruler? Or You're is supposed like a... to feel the government is bad because there's one shot of, like, a woman walking down the street and They're she gets she gets people. yanked into, like, a, a like little alley and her scarf goes floating away. Right. So you're, you're supposed to feel the impact of an entire oppressed civilization in that floating scarf. And the sister, right? Doesn't the sister get... But, no, all you see is, like, the doorbell rings and the sister opens it and there's, like, a close-up of a gun and the gun goes bang and the screen goes white and you don't actually know who killed the sister yeah like i i guess now that we're talking about even at the time i didn't realize it was the government this is pretty simple storytelling like you want me to be on the side of your main character you got to show me why the government's bad and why change needs to happen otherwise i'm just watching like 
this woman get, she's like, kill this guy. That's your mission. She goes, okay, I'll do that. And I'm like, all right, I, that's the movie. Carry on. Yeah. It's pretty much your bog standard dystopian sort of setup. And I think they must've filmed, I think I read they filmed a lot in like Berlin and stuff. So yeah. there's this sort of brutal, brutalist architecture, totally um, to everything, which, you know, definitely evokes, you know, it brings there were moments of this that I felt reminded me of like THX and stuff. And I'm a big fan of 70s dystopian stuff. And this definitely even Logan's run a little bit. It, it called back to a lot of those types of movies, which were all far from perfect, but I really enjoy them. I kind of get what they were going for, but it was one of those sort of things where it's like, I got what they were going for because I've seen all these types of movies. I was bringing something to the movie. So I was like, okay, they're a dystopian society and there's horrible things that go on. We don't see like jackbooted troops, you know, making people go to the bathroom in the street or whatever, you know, like we don't, <laughs> I don't know why my it's mind. It's a weird analogy. That. That's, that would be my dystopian future. I'd be making people shit in the streets for my amusement. <laughs> Well, I think oh, is the idea that that basically it, it is utopian and that there's this conspiracy or just underground thing that's like happening and that so we're supposed to take at face value what Frances McDormand gives to her just because we know that she's, you know, the protagonist of the movie. So, yeah, it's it's set up that only the rebels really know the true evil of what's going on and everybody right. else is just kind of going along with stuff. So it's that right. utopia slash dystopia thing, which is also like Logan's run and Logan's run. They think everything's great, except you have right. to die when you're 30. It's part of that sort of cinematic shorthand that I do understand. And the production design is good but not the greatest i feel like so you know at its worst it, it feels like you know a bad episode of star trek next generation and then other times you're like oh this feels like a cool modern you know music video or sci-fi thing but uh i feel like it f falls through the cracks it doesn't really do anything that original with its look compared to like you know stuff that's come before and after. But one thing that is uh, original that it does is we are introduced to this character of Sethandra, played by Sophie Okonedo, and she is a woman who has had feet genetically sewn onto her, her legs. No, no, hands. She said hands. Hands. Right. <laughs> sewn, she's had hands sewn onto where her feet normally would be. Yes. So she has four pairs of hands. Yeah, hands for feet. And so this was a, an image that I felt they really um, pushed in the marketing. I don't know if it was the best image to push because it's just kind of freakish and weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. I like it. It's cool. I mean, they, you know, there's this whole scene where they have to basically run across this courtyard of death, which for whatever reason is just like booby trapped with all these sort of natural booby traps, which I'm, I'm sure comes from the cartoon. I think I remember there being blades yeah. of grass that are uh -huh. like knives or whatever. So there's this whole sequence, which I, I think is arguably the best sequence in the movie where they're running across this courtyard and Sathandra's, you know, jumping into trees and swinging around with her uh, hand feet and stuff like that. Although she kind of sucks at her job because she like falls on the grass and it cuts her hand feet and she gets hit with some of the spores that shoot out of the thing that are full of drugs. And it's, but there, and then she just kind of gets messed up a little bit 
and then nothing really happens. Like you think like, oh, you're fucking dead. That happens a lot in this movie. They're yeah. like darts filled with like some kind of liquid that I assume are meant to kill you. Right. And she gets shot like three of them. Guys, I'm sorry. What the fuck is this garden of booby traps? Why are they going across it? Why Dude, I this... have a garden of booby traps in my house right now. Dude, it's like it's like 2021. We have security cameras and motion detectors. <laughs> it's 2400, right? How come no guards are responding to the intruder alert? It's broad daylight. And these two women are like running across the pineapple shooting deadly. Like there are literally <laughs> pineapples that shoot fucking yeah. vials of poison at them. And I'm like, what is happening? This has got to be from the cartoon. <laughs> it has to be someone wake me up. This is a nightmare. <laughs> I do like the blades of grass. I think that's a cool idea. It's a shame that they never use it again in the movie. How about having a fucking fight there and someone gets thrown on it and killed? That'd be awesome. Sorry. I don't know why that bothers me so much, but it does. It's just so it's so fucking bonkers stupid. But I mean, I, I got to say, like, if like if that's going to really rub you the wrong way, you're in for a long fucking ride yeah, because yeah. like oh, it's too late. I already had to watch the whole fucking thing. <laughs> You got to turn off your brain just the way you when you would watch liquid TV, you know, they throw the stupidest bonkers stuff there. And to me, it's just like, yeah, there it is. It's about ripping bong hits and thinking of like the craziest thing you can. It's exactly. not about fucking logic. Yeah, there's no logic. To if you point. want logic, go watch uh, Tenant because that is completely airtight. rock solid, rock solid. <laughs> This is like, we're just kind of riffing, man. You know, take a bong hit. Those blades of grass, they'll kill you. Whoa, dude. Don't you ever wonder why they're called blades of grass? <laughs> all right, all right, I take it back. That The sequence is great. It's awesome. But I, I will say, like, maybe if it, you know, had a little bit more gusto or just, like, if the tone of the movie fit that, you'd be more inclined to go with it, you know? And I, I think that they are kind of trying to run that line of being like, all right, some of this makes sense, but then some of it doesn't. And you're, you're, you're falling into that trap. Whereas if it was more bonkers from the beginning, you'd be more accepting of that. I'm going to, I'm going to bring up my one big point here. And then we, I know you want to talk about all the entire fucking movie and its plot, but like, I just think this movie lacks any sense of style. I really, really hate the way it's shot. And I'm not going to blame the studio on that one. Karen Kusama shot the fucking thing. And there's no depth of field. Everything's shot like in a natural kind of daylight. There are a couple interior sets that are like kind of cool looking. But the the animated show had, based on the few I've seen, it had this sense of style to it. And oh, that's yeah. what made it cool. Spades, yeah. But what I'm, when they run across the field of deadly grass, it just looks like two women running. It, it just looks like a student film. Yeah. Like it just, it looks really bad. And that's how it feels almost throughout the film. In fact, I'll play, you want to play the opposite of a drinking game, right? You have to drink whenever you see a shot that has any kind of depth of field to it. You'll be sober the whole fucking night. Yeah, I see what you're saying. The actual sort of photography of it isn't particularly inspired or... Agreed. I mean, there's style going on, but it's all in the production design. And Yeah, it feels yeah, very yeah. like music video of the time. It's nothing, you know, even just the score also. It's all just like the, there, there is no style. Like it, it, it's not bold enough. It's just kind of like, oh, we think this is what style is right now in 2005. And it's just think of something like that came out around that time. Like you brought up Underworld, right? Underworld has style. That's like it's like fucking drenched in like blue and atmosphere and shadows or I'll point to like Constantine, right? Which is also a very stylish looking movie. You want to make Eon Flux. A movie I really like. I like that movie. I like the way it looks. <laughs> it's, it's not bad. It's not a bad movie. I'm sorry. I, I might keep harping on this, but that's the greatest sin Eon Flux 
Your your point is well taken. I mean, like this should have been knocked out of the park, like cool looking movie. You know, I mean, like this is Aeon Flux. It's coming from a groundbreaking anime that has the coolest visuals in you know recent times, and and they kind of dropped the ball on this. I agree. If it looked cool, I think you would forgive most of yeah. the nonsense. Yeah. You know, you would just be like, oh man, this is cool. But it doesn't. It just looks so fucking boring. It's boring on your eyeballs. All right. So the next part of the movie is basically dealing with um, Eon. She's got to kill Trevor Goodchild, who is supposedly, they're setting him up that he's the villain because he's. He's in charge. The entity that's been in charge for 400 years. He, you know, he's got this little council of scientists and, you know, you it quickly becomes apparent that. He's not really the bad guy and that his brother, played by Johnny Lee Miller, Oren, is really the real bad guy. So basically, Eon gets the drop on Trevor. He's like practicing a speech or something in like an empty auditorium. <laughs> and she comes in <laughs> and gets the drop on him. And then basically, you know, he's like, I'm I'm not the bad guy. And he knows who she is. And they have this sort of connection. He calls her Catherine. He calls her Catherine. And it's like at that point, I immediately like I mean, I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I I knew, okay they were romantically involved at some point. And, you know, she's forgotten it for some reason, which begs the question, did Francis McDormand's character know this and then intentionally send her to kill Trevor? Because that was a bad plan, if that was the plan. Unless they knew that that's, you know, the plan from the beginning. And if Francis right. McDormand is the old man at the very end, they do say that it is him who saved her in the first place. Anyway, the, what I'm saying is it wasn't really a surprise at this point. I'm like, oh, okay, so they were, you know, husband and wife or something sometime in the past. And, you know, that's basically exactly what we do find out, even though the movie tries to set it up as this mystery. Basically, the movie keeps teasing out this mystery of, ooh, what is their connection? And it's like, they were fucking together. That's what their connection is. Dude, the, the second she like she like pulls out her gun and like he spins around and it like cuts to a flashback of them kissing. And you're right. like, okay, yeah. well, they were yeah, clearly a couple. Yeah, you don't need any more information. And they keep teasing it out. And like, this is not a mystery worth teasing. We get it. Also... I'm sorry, but doesn't everyone know what Trevor Goodchild looks like? He's the fucking savior. He's the king of the city. So how come she acts like she's never seen his face? Good point. Before? His his right. face is everywhere in this. It's city. everywhere. Yeah. It's even in his own like living space. Yeah. He's got like a Warhol like paintings yeah. of himself. Sebastian, when are you gonna get around? that up there, man? Oh, I don't like the way I look enough to do that. So there, there's a Peter Chung um, quote where he says, Trevor and Eon were not married in a previous life. That is the least interesting explanation I can imagine for their attraction to one another. So he obviously is not down with this love story. Everyone knows that nothing makes the passion, the fires of passion burn hotter than 400 years of marriage. <laughs> Yeah, so she doesn't kill Trevor because they've got a love that'll never die. And then um, she gets taken prisoner and we sort of drag this whole thing out even longer. But then there's a cool scene where he gives her some like food and water to drink in the, in the prison. And she figures out that the water has got some kind of like drug in it that, you know, is going to be like a communication device later. And she calls these little balls that it, she had been throwing these like, little like, um, marbles almost right. I mean, steel like ball bearings. Something. Uh, yeah, exactly. They're like ball bearings, but they're these sort of sentient ball bearings that she calls with her whistle. And then they come to the cell 
wall and blow it up and she escapes. And it's another one of these little moments where we're getting this sort of weird technology, but it's definitely like the part of the movie where I get the most pleasure is in these mm-hmm. weird, weird technological moments. Even though they don't make sense, it's like, I don't care. I think they're fun. It's what makes the movie interesting to me. Yeah, I, I like the part with the balls. I thought it was really cool. I like the idea of whistling and these balls like all form a bomb and they like blow or blow the wall out as she escapes. I was into that. Again, all the best ideas are from the anime. I mean, like all this good stuff, like the map on her arm. Like if if any of these ideas ring cool to you. Then... Although that map on her arm just looked like it was like, just go straight. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Like I noticed that that's like the the tattoo in Waterworld that's on the little girl's back. It's like an arrow Just pointing go that like way. upwards. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I like Trevor Goodchild. I thought he did a good job. Yeah, he's a good actor. He's a handsome dude. That actor is Martin Koskus or whatever. He shows up in a lot of kind of random things. He was in a lot of movies around this time, sort of his villain roles because he kind of has a villain face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this actor could have done. You know, if this had done better at the box office i feel like you know he had leading man potential i feel like he you know he looks good and i feel like you know he's a good flip side to her so then what happens is we get this scene where Anne is confronting a character named claudius who works in a botanical garden and like i figured out later that this was like una's husband or something like her sister's husband but like I didn't catch it like on the, nope. before we got there, so I'm like, why is she talking to this character? And like then he's talking about like the memories that people are having, and there's something you know they're studying something that's going on beyond the wall. This whole sort of mystery being set up by this character who we haven't seen and who doesn't matter, and then who gets like killed a few scenes later. So I sort of question why he's in the movie, although it does make sense that he's a character in the movie because he's the husband of the sister. And later we find out the sister, something about the sister that's important. Yeah, that has to happen with him. Yeah. But like the way it's set up is really awkward. Like he needed to be established in the beginning with the sister. Like if they were going to give them a scene, it should have been the three of them, like the Mm -hmm. husband, the sister and her. I don't know why they didn't do it that way. Reshoots. Yeah, probably. But um, at that point, uh, Eon drinks the thing that uh, Trevor gave her and she gets this message from him in the drug. I totally dig that. I love messages in drinking water. That's a cool concept. Yeah. See, you love this movie. Did I ever say I didn't? (laughs) (laughs) Then she goes back to him. And this is why it gets kind of confusing because they have this. It's like she tries to kill him and then she doesn't. And then they have this conversation in the interrogation room and then she leaves and then she comes back and then they fuck. And then it's like it just kind of keeps going back and forth between these characters. And another thing that happens a lot in this movie that kind of drives me crazy, and I'm sure this drives you crazy too, Rodney, is like, so whenever we see her go to do the thing the first time, it's always really hard. But then when she needs to go back and do the same thing, it's just like, no, okay, so you you saw that she could get through that thing once. Like, so she can do it a million times. Don't worry about it. Like, they'll do this later. Like, when she needs to get on that um, dirigible that flies above the city, it's like, there's this whole big sequence where she has to do all this shit to get on it. And then at the end of the movie, she gets right back on it and they don't even show you how she does it. They seeded that because when they're her and and the foot hands girl are, are trying to get in, she goes, do you understand what we're dealing with now? That's basically like once you've done it once, you understand what you're dealing with now. We yeah. can do this 
Okay. It's like she's a fat she's a fast learner, man. Yeah, you only yeah, gotta tell yeah. her once. Look, I don't need to see scene after scene of her doing the same thing over and over again, but it, it really And yet you got an entire movie about that. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, they fuck and it's really, really hot. But then she like decides to choke him in bed. And this was a really weird moment because she chokes him out in bed. And I'm like, D- is that it? Did she just kill him? Cause he's like, I said the same thing. I turned to my wife and I said, wait, did, did she kill him? Is he dead? And I was like, I guess if he doesn't come back into the movie, then she killed him there. But no, I guess she just chokes him out to unconsciousness, but not death. Yeah. I feel like in movies, this has been happening a lot in movies lately. I feel like I'm like, does that mean they're dead or does that mean they're unconscious? Cause I feel like, you know, 10 years ago, you would never just kill. Like if someone was with their eyes open, that meant they were unconscious or something like that. I feel like we need to establish some movie language that says, all right, right. this is this is a unconscious choke. And then this is a death choke. And we need to, like, fix that. If you get choked out and your eyes are closed and you look like you're sleeping, then uh, you're yeah. not dead. Right. But if you get choked out and you're. Your eyes are open and staring into the, the abyss. Right. Means you're dead. I think the rule of thumb should just be. If you want to, if you want the audience to know that the choking was lethal, then their eyes should pop out of the socket, yeah. right? <laughs> that, then I would go, action. yeah, yeah. That guy, that guy's officially dead now. <laughs> I won't think about him anymore. So yeah, <laughs> things get a little weird here because it's like there's like, her, her, did she like leave her ring on the ground or something, or is that somebody else's ring? But she like goes to pick up a ring, and then this staircase suddenly like descends from the floor. Yeah, that's her ring. Like the ring is what are the little balls. Like right, she, right, right. Like she peels, I don't know, chunks of the ring off and they turn into the ball, the ball bomb. But was she doing that while right before they were going to have sex and just left it on the floor? They had such like vigorous sex that her ring came off. Okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. But so, yeah, this is where she goes into this, goes down the stairs and now she's in this like pretty sweet, like library type set. And this is where Trevor's got all those like Warholian paintings of himself. <laughs> so then she like finds this like sort of like octopus strappy sort of thing, chest piece or whatever. And she puts that on and it's another piece of weird tech. Now, how did you guys take this? Did you take this that this thing was sort of like toggling her in between to places like a transporter or did you take it that it's like this interdimensional thing like what does the uh, the cartoon say you said this was a scene like this in the cartoon yeah it was basically just you're vibrating at the same frequency as whatever else is in the room and so this is this takes it a little bit further where you completely disappear like in in the cartoon in the anime like if she put that thing on she would just become like a, a blur, almost like like the predator or something like that, where like you could you could kind of see her, but not see her. Whereas here, like basically she disappears. And well, she's in a whole nother space. Yeah, basically. it's it's kind of like a missed opportunity because it's so well done in, in the anime that they kind of drop the ball on this one. But, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of cool. I thought this was like going to be the important to the plot of the film because She's in a library. She puts on this harness and suddenly she's in like a white laboratory. And I was like, oh, there's like alternate dimensions. Right. And this device lets her like step between them or something. Yeah. And I figured that was going to be revealed to be important or something. But it's not. It's literally like there's just a scene where she finds a device that lets her go to a white lab and then it's never discussed or shown again. 
it's discussed that the lab is what he tries to to save at the very end because his notes are there. But why does he have a? Why does he need a fucking magic harness to to go to a magic lab? Why doesn't he just have a lab to keep it secret? Yeah, he wants to keep it secret from the Council of Scientists. All right, but then how did anyone else find it if it's in an alternate magic? octopus harness dimension Good question that's kind of one of those just like don't even think about it it's just blown <laughs> i i imagine that that was something that got cut out in like editing you know it's 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 one of those things where i know at the end you always like to ask why did why do you think this didn't work right imagine you're like a fucking 40 year old mom who brought your kids to see aeon flux <laughs> and you get to the scene where charlie's theron puts on an octopus harness that takes her to a magic lab and then it's never used again and like I'm, I fucking love that shit, and I'm sitting on my couch being like, "What? What is this? What the fuck is this movie?" I'm sorry, I thought that was so dumb. I like the idea of it. Watch the anime. I'll I'll send you the exact uh, episode where it's used, and you'll you'll be you'll love it. It'll scratch that itch that you have, and then you'll love this movie. Even yeah, more. I feel like maybe that's the problem. Like maybe if I watched all of Eon Flux and was like a really big fan of the animated series, I probably would have loved the movie. I don't mm. think so. <laughs> That's called sarcasm. You would have had a different reaction. Let's just say that. You would have hated it for different reasons. During this octopus harness scene, this woman who I guess is like the head of security, her name is Freya, and she's played by the actress Caroline Chikizzi, Which There's a lot of people in this movie that we've never seen again. So she fights this woman. It's kind of a cool scene in concept because they are teleporting back and forth between the lab and the study. Yeah. See, that's that's what I think the payoff is to it, is that the, you get a fight where you're toggling in between these realities. Yeah, it was all right. I, I know it's not what you're looking for, but I do feel like it is a little unfair of you saying that there's no payoff to it because there is. It turns into a fun fight scene. Yeah, and that transition, she's like, found you, and then boom, it's off and to the races, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, again, the fight the fight is kind of cool when they're jumping between the lab and stuff. I just, what I meant to say is, I did not understand that the lab is like some secret lab. that, And I still don't understand where it is. There's no explanation for, like, whatever. I get it. It's, it's Ian Flux, and there's just a bunch of weird shit. Don't act like I'm crazy. This movie fucking tanked. No one likes this movie. <laughs> I am in the right here, all right? I don't think this was the worst thing for the biggest problem. You telling movie. your audience that you think this is not a, that this is better than Underworld is fucking crazy, Sebastian. I'm definitely telling the audience that this is better than Lady in the Water like that. I'm definitely saying absolutely not. <laughs> I will watch this movie 500 times before I will ever watch Lady in the fucking Water again. So, <laughs> Lady in the Water is fucking amazing. There's that. <laughs> So after that, we find out that Trevor is alive and uh, he's, you know, Freya goes to him and reports that she was unable to get Aeon because Aeon got away. So then we get the scene where the scientific council or whatever, they've been like spying on uh, Trevor and uh, Aeon fucking. They've, they're like, they see it happening in their like, you know, Oracle pool or whatever it is. And... <laughs> And Oren's like, well, okay, so there you go. He's, you know, he can't be trusted. I'm taking over. And everybody's just like, yep, now Oren's in charge, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, damn, man, that was easy. How can you trust my brother to be in charge? He likes having sex with hot women. <laughs> yeah. 
what I do find confusing about this movie is Eon has this reputation of being a badass, but it's like, but she's a secret assassin. So like, what is it? Like, either you know who she is or you don't know who she is. You'd think for the sake of the story, it would make more sense if like they just didn't know who she was. You know, like, oh, who's this hot chick my brother's having sex with? I don't know. <laughs> Didn't she just try to kill him? I don't know. Who is she? But everybody's like, oh, that's Eon Flux. She's quite the assassin. She, she is She is the best assassin in the anti-government movement. And like, okay, <laughs> if you know her name, maybe you should have. Why, why does she have an apartment? Like, why, why has a year gone by? <laughs> yeah, like the, her identity seems known to everyone. And yet she's this stealth assassin. Like, why aren't they just trying to kill her? Yeah, that they didn't address that. I mean, in the anime, she lives outside the city. There's like two cities and there's like a wall between them. And she's basically zipping in and out of the two cities. And that's why she's not ever caught. So that doesn't make any sense here. Chris, come on, man. That's going to that that would confuse audiences. You can't have uh -huh. two separate cities. <laughs> On this, there's n there's no other city in the whole world. Yeah. So it's like it's even doubly makes no sense. It's like there's no other place in the world anyone can live except this city. And everyone knows who this person is in this city. The whole movie should just be her trying to run for her life from everything. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I, look, I don't I, I know they had a, a budget and yet it looks like maybe like 80 people live in this city. Like it, it just seems like a really small city at any yeah. given time so yeah it feels like everybody would know everybody's name and you would be like hey who's the chick in the they in do the they know her name yeah well that's weird another thing about this movie is there's sort of these big reveals and they seem to come like almost every like 10 or 15 minutes so it's like now we find out because eon listens to this lab recordings that she stole out of uh, trevor's lab she also saw a picture of herself in the lab as this other person, Catherine, which is another like, yeah, we get it there. She was his wife and some other time. But, you know, we need that hammered in even further. So she fi she finds out that her sister was part of this test group. But then Sithandra with the hand feet shows up and she's all pissed because Aeon didn't complete the mission. And so they have this fight and there's this it's, it's in, in this space where there's this sort of vine lattice that's on the ceiling and I kind of enjoyed this because, of course, there's something there that Sathandra can then climb up into because why else do you have a character with feet for hands? So <laughs> if there's going to be a fight scene, you got to do something with it. And then, you know, it's sort of a quick fight scene. But I did I did like that there was that element to it and that, you know, Eon ends up uh, beating her with like a vine and like ties her up to the vine. And then she like <laughs> to keep her sort of out of the way she puts them in like a pool or so puts her in like a pool or something with like a breather like a lily pond yeah like, <laughs> like ninja <laughs> style but she's still tied up yeah. i like that kind of shit it's just so weird and it doesn't make sense but i don't know like i was kind of like it looks cool yeah and they do allude to them having a relationship where she's like this used to be fun right when she's like tying her up or something so anyway um we keep getting shots of this dirigible called the relical that just hovers around the city and they set it up really briefly in the voiceover that it's like a memorial to all the people that have died. But we're, we quickly find out that that's not what it is at all. Now, did they set up why Eon thinks she needs to go up to this thing? Was it in the like voice recording or something where was 
did Trevor be like, you should go into the relical? Like, why does she just decide to go climb up a huge tower? I know the real reason, but I don't know if it's ever explained because this is it's post plot twist that they explain what's up there, right? Right. I know why she eventually gets up there, but why in this moment does she decide she needs to get up in this thing? Does it, is it because she thinks that Frances McDormand is up there and she needs to, like, confront her? Or I'm not sure. Is it? I don't know about that. Now, I, I remember when it happened, it made sense to yeah. me that she was going up there. But now that we're talking about it, I don't remember why don't remember she decides either. to go up there. But um, anyway, she climbs up this big tower and this relical thing, which basically looks like a hot air balloon has these like <laughs> these really long streamers like like the huge streamers that are just streaming from it which is really cool looking like design wise but is like completely impractical like why would you put these giant streamers on your dirigible that you didn't want anybody to like climb up into <laughs> <laughs> yeah o- odd choice i love the way i love the design of it i thought it was really cool looking but I also thought, yeah, what is the, why did you put those there? It's so that they can have this cool scene where she jumps and misses and has exactly. to cling to one of these things and and then climb up it to get inside. But she does. So once we're inside, we meet the Keeper, who is played by uh, Pete Postlethwaite, who you know has one of the greatest faces in all of cinema. He definitely looks like he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> yes. Well, he is 400 years old, right? His costume, he looks like he's wearing an ice cream cone. Like... <laughs> so inside this relical ship, uh, we find that there there's these like wires or, or, or strands or whatever that are sort of have DNA in them. You know what this reminded me of? And I think this came out a few years later. Did you guys see the movie Wanted? I Yeah, I thought of Wanted too. Yeah, yep. like there was this thing called The Loom in Wanted oh. and it had a sort of similar goofy sci-fi conceit as this. But like I didn't really fully understand what was going on with these things because she just goes up to these like wires or strings or whatever and just starts like or she says her sister's name right. and then her sister's image appears in it and then she figures out that like her sister has been reassigned and so you know this is leading us to our before the third act big reveal well wait we didn't talk about pete possible wait or however you say it like who he is and what he's doing there because it's not really revealed here all we get in this is he says to her welcome back and then he disappears in right Right, he literally just like vanishes out of existence. So yes. <laughs> is he like a hologram? Like I don't get what he is. Again, like Fr- uh, Franny D, he is not explained. Yeah, fair enough. Like fair at this enough. point, he feels like you know the Superman's dad in the you know Fortress of yeah, Solitude, totally. where you're like you can talk, but you but you're not real, but you can have a conversation, and it's yeah. And then we get even more because. After uh, Eon leaves to go find out where her sister was reassigned, Trevor shows up and they don't explain at all how he gets up there. I'm assuming maybe because he's such a big deal, he can just zip up to the dirigible whenever the hell he wants. Yeah, bro. He's in charge. He can go up anytime he wants. He's got a free pass to the dirigible. He's got a really big ladder. Right. (laughs) And like Peter Postlesweight shows up for him, too. He's like, hey, dude, how's it going? (laughs) <laughs> and then like just catches him up on what's going on so that they, it's kind of, it's bad storytelling. It's like, you don't 
you know, if you if you need two characters to come to the same conclusion, you just you don't do it in just like two scenes that are basically repeats of each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have Trevor figure out some other way or he just shows up at the, the house where Una's being reborn or whatever because he knew about it or whatever. Yeah. You don't have him go to the thing and be like, hey, what, so what did Ian come here and ask you? Oh, well, funny you should ask. <laughs> she asked about her sister. Oh, cool, cool. All right, well, just go disappear now, Pete Postlethwaite. You know, so we find out basically that um, Una has been reborn as a baby. And the big reveal here is that basically everybody are clones like they the only like the only way to continue humanity after this virus that happened 400 years ago was to basically like i don't know clone 1% of the population over and over and over trevor says he's been cloned 7 times or whatever he and his brother or am i am i misunderstanding this i think you're slightly off cuz they the they create a cure for the disease Right. But the cure makes people sterile. Yeah. Right. Correct. Right. Yes, 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 yes. And so they realize that even though they've saved 1% of the world, those people will just die of old age. So then they start cloning everyone. Yeah. And so the idea is when you die. So whoever's left. You, they, they give this really bonkers explanation where basically they like, when a person dies, they take that body away and then they like make, they like make a, you know, an embryo clone. And then they wait and they watch for two people to have sex. Yes. And then after two people have sex, they like take the woman, I guess after having sex, you have to go to the doctor. It's a little unclear. Yes. But <laughs> I guess like in, in 2400, like if you have sex. You, well, I go to the doctor after I have sex every single time. You guys don't Smart do man. Smart man. They give them food that makes, makes the woman appear pregnant and then they go to the doctor right. to get it checked out. And that's when they implant the embryo. Right. Okay. That is a bonkers version of reality, but okay. Like that's the plot. Right. So it's it's all been this sort of workaround for in, infertility. I guess the thing that I don't understand is, are they just cloning the same people over and over? Yes. Or like, because why does, okay, yeah. so why, why do they do that? Is that because that's all they have to cho- yeah, choose those from? Yeah, those are the only people, bro. All right, gotcha. All yeah, right. they don't want to destroy any DNA. They want to keep the human race going and they don't want to just, you know, not diversify, but they can't because that's all they have. Now, one thing that's cool about this is this gives this is a good villain motivation, because basically the conflict here now is that Trevor and Eon want humanity to continue on naturally with people being born and dying and all that. But Oren wants to keep things the way they are because people basically get to live forever through cloning and everything. But like only I guess only he and and uh, his brother get to remain conscious of themselves. Everybody else has to forget, which they don't explain that. Well, no, but like she, she remembers like, that's why everyone's remembering is that right. But they're not supposed they're, but, to. Yeah, you're right. Nobody knows that they are. A yeah. Clone. They don't, they don't remember like the other clones teach the other clones. Right. I mean like Trevor and, and Goodchild are actually, they raise their own clone. So they tell them everything that they knew. I don't think they're remembering. Is that why? Yes, I think I think in that okay. explanation he says we raised ourselves on and on for right, seven right, generations. Right. There's like there's like a shot of him talking to like two little boys, a young version, right? But those are the only people who know that the cloning shit is happening. That's my understanding. Yeah, gotcha. M- maybe the council knows. It's unclear. I mean, it would be more beneficial to just say, all right, let everybody die. Let's only clone 
the scientists who are working on this cure and then let's figure that out and not have a giant society roaming around. But I mean, I guess they did what they did. Also, Sebastian, did you did you did we mention the reveal of what that Una was pregnant? No, because that does that come at the same time or does it shortly after? I think is it after? All right, we can hold off on that again. It's one of these these scenes that are like two scenes that happen like yeah. right next to each other with little things cut in between. Because yeah, Trevor shows up and then he's like, oh yeah, he explains all this stuff and then he's like, oh, he was trying to to find the cure for infertility. Una was part of this test group like seven B or whatever, and then she became naturally pregnant. And that's why Oren killed her because she's now screwed up. Like now people can be born again naturally. So that's why she had to die. Now, one thing that comes out later, which I thought was kind of funny, is like near the, at the end, like when there's the sort of showdown in like the orchid trees or whatever, like Oren's like, well, more people are getting pregnant now. So whatever. So it's like Trevor's whole thing just was didn't even really it's like people were just happening it was just going to happen no matter what so it's like all trevor's work was kind of pointless they had to fix it because they lost the lab and so they're like oh shit what are we gonna do oh it's just happening naturally that was their little re like fix 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 that part because he was supposed to go back to the lab to get his notes so that he could fix everything but no nature found right. a way and so that that was just yeah bait and switch that made had no impact so but I will say there's a lot to say about this whole cloning thing, because especially with the relationship to the animation. So when the animation first came out, it was very subversive in the fact that she would die every episode, right? At the very end of the episode, oh, okay. she would die. And everyone would be like, holy shit, I thought she was the main character. She would die because she stepped on a thumbtack and then fall off after like slaughtering like a thousand people. And it'd be like, you know, funny and ironic. And then later when they started putting in dialogue and they had a half hour animated series, he said, oh, I'm going to introduce this cloning concept. And that's why I'm able to have all these um, episodes is because, oh, there's a thousand Aeon clones out there. Right. So it was like a retcon. It was kind of a retcon. Yeah. He was like, oh, let me explain okay. this and why it keeps it keeps happening, even though at the beginning it was just a joke. Oh, and in one of the episodes, she actually clones herself on purpose and then forces like a more docile clone version of her to like take the place of her with Trevor. And then the original, actually the original does that. And then the clone takes over. And then, so that was kind of mind blowing at the time saying like, Oh, for the rest of the series, we're living with a clone Aeon and not the original. Anyway, I, I really like the fact that they took that concept and then brought it into this feature with a, a new twist to it. So I really, this is the one takeaway from the first time I saw the movie that was kind of mind blowing, maybe because I was stoned out of my mind, but I thought it was really good. And and it was really the one takeaway that I was like, oh, this, this is getting a, a you know, this people are being unfair to this movie because they're not acknowledging this plot twist, which I thought was really original and cool. Yeah. I actually like the plot twist. I think it's, it's, it's an interesting sort of take on the clone thing, but I imagine Rodney doesn't like it. Rodney, what do you have to say about it? I mean, was it a twist? Did this really like, did it really blow your it's mind? It's a reveal. It's a reveal. Okay. It's a plot turn. Like, yeah, I, I like it. Okay. I like the fact that they're, that they've just been cloning everyone over. But like that is so apparent from the, the first time she tries to kill him and he calls her Catherine. Like you're like, if she doesn't know who he is, but he knows who she is, and they clearly cut to them kissing, either she had her memory erased or 
she's some kind of fucking clone of her former self. Like, so you already know. Maybe I didn't know that everybody's a clone, but I don't know. It just felt like they gave that away. And like, they do this thing where it's clearly a shot of them, like on like, like present day, call it like 2005 New York City streets. Yeah. But they, they, oh, here's a part where you would drink. This part's out of focus. (laughs) Uh (laughs) They blur their faces to make it be like, oh, what is this memory? But I'm like, that's clearly them in present day when they were alive. I don't know. Like, you're not as clever as you think you are, movie. It's fucking obvious. I did not go right to cloning. I thought there, you know, I knew something was up, but I didn't. I go into every movie assuming there's cloning. I thought that's what was going on in Lady in the Water. I thought they had all (laughs) been cloned, and that's why they were all acting like Biggest twist in my life was A League of Their Own at the end when there's no cloning (laughs) happening. Blew my fucking mind. There's no cloning in baseball. Do you know that? That wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I can't believe I didn't find the joke. I'm glad you did, Chris. So, yeah, after the big cloning reveal, now we're into the climax of the movie. These like shock troopers show up and start like blowing the house away. But it's like I didn't understand. I guess they're supposed to be the government's guys or because at this point, like Eon is being chased by both the government and the monikins or whatever because she betrayed them so it becomes confusing you don't really know who's chasing her i mean i'm assuming it's the government because the government would have dudes in tactical gear or whatever and so then at this point like trevor gets shot like at least like five times yes or exactly <laughs> this goes back to like when they get you know shot in the beginning and it doesn't affect her either it just bullets and whatever people get shot with in this universe just don't affect them. Yeah. And like, I, like I noticed right away, like he gets shot and like there, there's a whole bunch of shit that happens even after he gets shot. Like they, they go on out of the subway and then the troopers come up in the, the subway and shoot up the subway. And like all this, like sort of generic type of action shit is happening. And to Rodney's point, none of it is particularly great or compelling. I'll tell you one thing that I did think was cool when they're on the subway like the the stormtroopers are like shooting and then like when you know they get away but then when the doors open you see that like everyone else in their car has been shot to death yeah and there's like blood on the walls and bullet holes everywhere and i was like i wonder if at one point this movie was rated r because that seemed a little violent like just Mm -hmm. a bunch of civilians get gunned down and it's sort of weird like the lighting gets kind of weird or whatever but yeah i mean most of it is just kind of standard uh, action shoot 'em up stuff but then this really weird scene happens where you know they're sort of hiding out in this i don't know like aqueducty type looking thing there's a lot of scenes that take place in just these sort of you don't know where they're really supposed to be but it's this sort of brutalist architecture and it's just that you don't even know what you're supposed to be in <laughs> like people are walking through these weird structures that are just like science fictiony looking <laughs> but you know you can tell are things that they found locations that they found yeah. probably in berlin which you know fine use use the crazy locations that you find but there's never any you never any context you don't really know where they're supposed to be so then you know finally we get to trevor's wounds and she's like digging in his you know shoulder or whatever pulling out the wounds or pulling out the bullets and she's like did you let any of them miss you <laughs> like the one 
one point in the whole movie where there's humor. Did you notice that that he got shot in the left shoulder and she's carrying him by the left shoulder the entire time? Wouldn't you carry him from the other notice. shoulder that wasn't freaking compromised? And and Rodney, to your to your point with the slaughter of all the civilians, that would have been probably better served earlier in the movie to show the government being bad and that they would risk everything yeah. to like slaughter these people just to get a you know Monica agent or whatever. Can one of you explain to me what she does here? Does she peel off her own skin? Okay, that's what I was going to get to. Yeah, like, so she, like, pulls the bullets out of his wound, and then she, like, reaches up into her own, like, shoulder and just pulls off, like, a piece of skin, or it's supposed to be something that she just keeps there in case somebody gets shot or if she gets shot. Like, it's just sort of a, like, skin patch that she can remove from herself and then put on him, and it, like, seals up the wound. Mm. This is one of those things that I really start to notice in movies is that when the characters have like the perfect thing for every situation, you know, like, oh, I just happen. Batman forever. Yeah. (laughs) The back shark repellent. I mean, in this case, it makes sense. If you're an assassin, you probably figure you're going to get shot. So you'll want to carry around, I don't know, skin patches on your skin that then you can just put on your skin. And there's other things like in like a scene later, basically, you know, we're at the end of the movie. We get this sort of standoff in in these sort of like orchids don't grow on trees, do they? Are these orchid trees? Is an orchid trees a thing? There's some sort of trees that have these like white flowers on them. And it really seems like they were trying to go for an anime kind of setting. You know what I mean? Because this would be the sort of thing you'd see in an anime. Although I don't know if you see this in Aeon Flux, but it's just a sort of typical anime type Mm -hmm. of setting. You know, it's basically the standoff between the good guys and the bad guys. The Monikins show up and they're sort of, they're, you know, they've got the whole area cased because they're going to like, I don't know, snipe everybody. But then Eon communicates to um, Sathandra. Handfeet. She communicates by like, she reaches into her back or something and like picks like a hole in herself and then touches some like thing there and that. Is a makes it her able to then communicate psychically with Sathandra. It's like force time in Last Jedi, and but she does do that when she's stuck in the lily pond. I feel like she gets her arm free yeah. to communicate with um Dormant. Francis McDormand. Yes. Yeah, but it's like sometimes you have to like swallow a magic pill to do this, but sometimes yeah. you just dig in your back and push a button yeah. that's like been or your ear solid. lights up or whatever. Yeah, like I know it falls under like. The future is weird and I can let all of that go, but I'm also like, I don't understand. Like, I just don't understand. You don't need this many things like right. set up one thing, like you make it be the ear light or the like, why, what was the benefit of having to dig into your own skin and then press a like metal ball that's hidden there? Yeah. Why don't you just touch your friggin' ear thing yeah. and just call her with your ear thing? They're trying too hard to, to like come up with crazy things that are doing the same thing. Well, you know, if someone came from the 60s, they'd be like, why don't you just call somebody? Well, I can text. And like, why don't you iMessage? Well, I can SS, SMS. Or like, maybe it's the same way, you know? Like, Yeah, maybe maybe when you use your back transmitter, it's like different data rates. Right, exactly. You know? It's like more expensive. <laughs> more encryption, yeah. I don't want to use Google. I'll use Apple for this call because the Monikins are, are on Google. And so there's no way they'll, they'll track us. Okay, you've convinced me. This all is perfectly reasonable. 
So anyway, there's a big uh, she convinces Eon convinces uh, the Monikans to side with them. There is a big shootout. Eventually, um, Orin gets shot down and killed. But there's just some back and forth where like he shoots her and then Trevel tackles Orin and then Eon shoots Orin. And it's all just sort of gobbledygook action stuff. But poor Sithandra does get um, killed with a missile launcher because Orin shoots her down from the tower. So we all cry tears for the death of Sithandra. This is very, very stock Hollywood. And I can see Peter Chung really groaning over this because, you know, there's moments where like, you know, sick boy comes up and is like, it's over and blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, this is the type of stuff that he was making fun of when he started the Aeon Flux anime. And it's kind of come full circle to this sort of dumb standoff that really... And then <laughs> Trevor gets shot, like, again, right? I feel like he was shot yeah. two or three times. Here he gets shot again. I, I feel like this actor... You know how actors are sometimes like, I need to feel strong. I need to have the best lines. I don't want to get my ass kicked. Like, this guy's the opposite of Steven yeah. Seagal. He's like, right. can I get shot again? <laughs> I, you know, I, I yeah. want to do less as my character. I want to give it all to Eon. But, you know, like, kudos to him. This was might be the worst part of the movie. Mm. I, I really I, I felt like uh, up till here, all the scenes, they're enjoyable in for one reason or another, either because they look cool or they're as cool technology and some of the fights are OK. Some are cool. But this last action scene is fucking hot garbage. It's it was embarrassingly bad. It reeks of like a reshoot or something like I bet you anything. This was not the original ending. And this was like, yeah. oh, we got to have something more exciting in the end. And uh, can you just have them fight over here by these trees? Like, you know, like, hey, look at these trees we found. Can we just have them fight over by the trees? OK, yeah, it yeah. just reeks really uninspired. It's un- yeah. it reeks of an uninspired ending that was thrown together at the last minute. But I don't know. Maybe it was always there in the script. I have no idea. Yeah, it sucks. It's 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 terrible. And I remember even when I got to this scene, I remember seeing the movie for the first time and I was like, oh, yeah, this is where it ends. And it sucks. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I was I was triggered into remembering how bad this ending was. You know, so after this, Eon goes back onto the relicle, no explanation how, and then plants all these explosive charges because she's got to blow it up. And then the um, Peter Postlethwaite is there, and he yeah he's looking really tired in this part, <laughs> and he's you know he said he explains to her that uh, yeah because Orin revealed that he had intentionally tried to destroy Catherine's DNA. Because he felt that Trevor's attachment to Catherine was going to screw up their plan of, you know, immortal clones or whatever. So that's why, like, I guess nobody figured out that Eon was Catherine. I don't know. Like, what I got was that, like, Eon has not been cloned over and over and over. There's just two versions of her, right? There's, like, the original version. Right. Yeah. She died, and the brother was like, "Uh, yo, just, like, burn this body. We're not going to use it. But, the doctor, Pete Postlewaite, I can't say his last name. He was like, eh, I'll just kind of save this DNA because you never He said, know. no, he said, this DNA is too hot to go to waste. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he just sort of stored it for 400 years and then at a certain point decided to bring her back. Am I understanding that correctly? So when he was this sort of ghost that hangs around in this blimp, he decided that now is the time to bust out this DNA I've been hiding. 
because he's not a real person at this point. Right? Well, he would have done it like probably around like 20 to 30 years earlier because he had to, she had to grow up. Right. So, right. He was like about 30 years from now will be a good time for Eon Flux to be back. Maybe they knew that, you know, once the nature took its course and the baby started happening, they had to reach Trevor somehow so that they could get him to do the right thing and, you know, let nature take its course. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a big stretch logically to get there, but I suppose it's fine. Yeah, it's kind of got kind of a chosen one-y element to it because it's like only she would be able to get through to Trevor and that's why, you know, he kept her DNA. But, you know, whatever, I'll take it. Yeah, so she <laughs> she blows up or she sets off the charges and then the, the relicle goes sort of spiraling or, you know, rocketing from the, the air and uh, Eon's hanging on to those inexplicable streamers and it crashes into the wall. And so now, you know, everybody's free to go off into the jungle and get killed, I guess. Like, I mean, they've set it up that this jungle is like fucking dangerous. So I don't know why it's such a great idea. Like, look, by all means, let's, you know, have people start having children and stuff the natural way again. But like they have forced in this symbolism mm -hmm. with this wall and the jungle. And it's like, it still doesn't make sense to go into the jungle. Like, unless, like, unless you know the jungle isn't as bad as they're saying, you're just probably going to get killed by whatever's in there. So, like, don't, don't break the wall. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like the movie is trying to imply that a whole bunch of people want to leave the walled city, maybe, but, you know, the, the evil government is stopping them and they're all trapped in this walled city, but none of that's actually in the movie. So, you get to the ending and it's like they finally tore down the wall. And I'm like, right. Isn't the wall a good thing? Doesn't it prevent yeah. the evil jungle from getting in? Like, didn't Aeon Flux just for, sort of ruin it for everyone? Good job. Just because all this happened inside Bregna doesn't mean that what's outside Bregna is now fine. Yeah. <laughs> like one, both, both things are not one problem doesn't solve the other. If anything, it's just going to exacerbate problems because like people are going to be like, oh, I'm going to go off to the jungle and have my baby. And like some <laughs> creature is going to come out and kill well, it's, you. It's just just stay in the city. Put that wall back up. Like It's a terrible <laughs> rewrite. I'm sure maybe they had, you know, the two city idea from the anime at the big at the beginning. And they were like, all right, the end will be them breaking the wall so that the two factions of humanity can come together. And then someone later on goes, no, 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 no. There's only one city and everything outside is the jungle. And then they still had them crashing through the wall. And then no one thought like, oh, wait a minute. That makes no sense now. <laughs> Right, but well, because well, if you set up a story where there's a city surrounded by an, a a jungle mm -hmm. and everybody's been kept in the city, then obviously where you're going to go is like, oh, they're going to find out what's beyond the wall, and it's going to be not what they thought. But like in this case, it doesn't. The jungle surrounding the city has no real meaning. It's set up as a thing where it's like, oh, they're keeping them safe, and it's as like, yeah, they are just keeping them safe. It's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. Well, the symbol is that they're keeping them safe by repeating the the dna and the lives and then now this is the symbol of of you know natural procreation and real sure. nature right i mean that's what they're really yeah, saying symbolically. symbolically so that's why it works of course but um I, I agree that it just it's it's hokey why can't they do both why can't people have babies but they still keep cloning like why is it got to be one road or the other 
yeah, like if you want to just keep getting cloned over and over, the option is available to you. I mean, that's how it would be in real life. It would be like, you know, if you want to be cloned, you'd be cloned. And if you didn't, you didn't. Like, yeah, that's how I don't it would be. I just don't understand. But whatever. Because that's not what the movie wants you to feel. The movie wants you to feel that natural birth is the way to go and cloning is bad. Do you think the movie wanted me to feel anything? Was I supposed to feel something? I think it wanted you to feel excited and fascinated with this strange, weird technology and stuff. Do you think the people who made this movie saw The Matrix? Because if they saw The Matrix, then they probably should have known that they really needed to up their game a lot higher than they did, right? Like, the minute the first dailies came in, they should have been like, I'm sorry, this is this is not the Matrix. You need to start over. I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were. I think Charlize Theron loved the idea of the love story. I think she they I'm sure she was drawn to it being like this, you know, futuristic, you know, across generational love story that was kind of unique at the time. I feel like it's been done to death since then in like oblivion but i feel like at the time it, it felt more original and you know i could see why you could i could see how you could take the raw materials of this and make something that could have possibly stood up to the matrix in some way or been the kind of thing that somebody who enjoyed the matrix would also enjoy this even if you weren't necessarily outdoing it but uh you know clearly things went wrong somewhere along the way now, uh, yeah, and there's one final shot with like, you know, we see them, like Rodney said, we see Catherine and Trevor in their, you know, in modern times, uh, walking out in the street and just, I don't know, I don't understand the, the point of having this last shot, but. It's the romance, Sebastian. They do see each other again after 400 right, years. Right. Doesn't that pull at your heartstrings? No, <laughs> definitely does not. Dude, ending your 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 fucking future ninja movie on a shot of two people meeting on New York City street in 2005 and like flirting is the wrong fucking ending, right? How about a shot of like I don't know, people celebrating that the government has been toppled or people flooding out into the deadly jungle or cuz it's a love story, Rodney, don't you understand? It's not a love story. It's about a future ninja. <laughs> this movie is fucking stupid. You know, when I watched it I thought this was very mediocre, but the more we talk about it, the more I'm convinced it's so terrible. Like, it's just a terrible <laughs> movie. There's not even a good bad guy, right? Like, how come there's no bad guy in the movie? The bad guy's just like a whiny fucking scientist. <laughs> Unless you just love Johnny Lee Miller. He is cool. Chris, do you do you do you like this movie? Um, of course, not as much as the anime. I mean, the anime is my jam, and then this movie, I I do enjoy it and on a certain level, you know, I think of it as like if it was a standalone movie, I would keep it on the level of, you know, uh, a bit higher than ultraviolet, you know, just one of those, you know, movies that I'm not I'm not proud to like, but I do like um, that's it. Hey, that's an answer. See, I'm sort of somewhere in between where it's like I definitely have seen this movie a bunch of times, as is the tenpole trauma tradition. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely been times when I've seen this movie and I've thought this is a very bad movie. So like I've, I've been <laughs> yeah. where you are, Rodney. I have definitely sat in that seat. And so I don't disagree with you. But at the same time, like this time that I watched it, I was prepared to like feel like it was a really bad movie. And while I was watching it, I was like, oh, you know what? This like kind of more or less holds up fine. And there I enjoy the weird technology and I 
I like the costumes. Exactly. Yeah, and, and then and then add a few bong hits, and you're in heaven, man. Yeah, but I I, I purposely was. It sober. wasn't as nonsensical as I remembered it being. Like I remembered it not making any fucking sense. And then this time when I watched it, I was like, no, it it pretty much makes sense. I mean, in the the way that dumb science fiction movies make sense. I'm not I'm not saying it doesn't make sense, quote unquote. Like I followed the movie, right? Like yeah. it's not that. It's just. It's just like the definition of bland. That's my problem. With the exception of the sets and the costumes, there are no like swings for the fences. I'd much rather take like a really bonkers movie that is bad, you know, that falls. Whereas this is just so bland at every fucking step that like it's offensive to me. That's the thing. Like I'll take any of the Resident Evil movies over this. Any of them. No, dude. Absolutely. Resident Evil 6. They've gone too far. No, dude. Now. Those are fucking cool compared to this movie. Those you are see, least- Rodney, you know what? You you come so close to, like, nailing your point, and then you throw in something like, I'll take any Resident Evil movie over there, and you totally Absolutely. just whiff the landing. <laughs> Better now, cloning. I've seen, I have seen Resident Evil 2, and that movie is a hot mess of nothing. That's and the it's, worst it's, of them. It's a piece I, of shit that doesn't even make sense. I'll like, give you part two. Is and, really it doesn't, and it's ugly to look at and it's all the things that you leveled at this movie only it's even fucking stupider and it makes no fucking sense. But I'll tell you one thing it has over this movie. An R nothing. rating. It has an R rating and you that can it doesn't even some... use. It, it doesn't people even People get use. fucking torn apart by zombies. Well, Way better. Not Way better. Well, you know, you know what? There's like seven Resident Evil movies. How many movies in the Eon Flux franchise? Like if you're going to argue like what made more money and therefore it's a, more of a success, then sure. Resident Evil. Wait till we see the Kusama cut. I, I guess you can uh, make that argument for Transformers, too. Oh, I mean, I guess yes, all the God. Transformers movies are better than this then. Because they are. They made, they made more money. Oh, no, Transformer <laughs> 2 is the one of the stupidest idiotic things I've ever seen. But anyway, <laughs> what, what I'm saying is I'll take the things that this movie does. There are, I, I don't 100% agree with you. I agree with you. The filmmaking is definitely flat and lifeless. Like if we're talking strictly filmmaking, but like you said, you even admitted in that same sentence that like the costumes are cool. Like there are crazy, like weird ideas in here. I agree with you. It doesn't swing far enough for the fences, but to say that it doesn't take any weird, it doesn't try to do anything is just not accurate. Like it's, it's trying to do something. It doesn't land it successfully at all. I'll agree with you, but like having a character with hands for feet, that's something. Yeah, all right, fine. It's seeing trying. it in 2021 is a lot different than seeing it around the time of 2005. Also, that's a lot of, changes and and things you've seen that have you know yeah a lot a lot more of my soul has died so (laughs) maybe i'm just angrier so then finally we come to our final question and that is why did this fail and okay i'm sure that this is probably pretty obvious to everybody in their own mind but i mean i think the reason this failed is because ultimately it's a combination of being too strange and at the same time, like we said, it's not an artistic uh, success. Yeah, it like, falls through the cracks. Yeah, if it it it's got a it's got a lot of ideas going on. I think you know, as Rodney pointed out, like some like 
parent with their like teenager sitting in a movie theater seeing this is going to be like, what the fuck am I watching? But at the same time, there are so many things about it that's also sort of standard and not pushing any sort of boundary. So it's alternatively too weird and too mainstream. I feel like it's clearly a compromised movie, so it's going to get terrible reviews. And I feel like there's no real emotional Con- like, there's no real emotional content to the movie like if you really want to get me to agree with you that this is a bad movie it's on the fact that the characters do not elicit a single emotion out of me yeah i can look at them i can watch the movie i can just be passively entertained by what they're doing but i do not like i, I don't care if there's another eon flux story i don't care about this character i don't care what she does after this movie because there's nothing there mm-hmm. to the character i think ultimately that is why it did poorly and why critics didn't like it and why it failed. Yeah, I mean, you said you said it. I mean, like, you know, they they weren't beholden enough to the anime to satisfy those fans. And it was too weird for mainstream audiences. So, like, who is this movie for? It's, you know, barely for me and Sebastian. It's definitely not for Rodney. You know, I, I think they should have kept an R rating. They should have kept, you know, they should have brought in Peter Chung to consult more. They should have just committed to like a smaller budget, but a riskier movie if you wanted to make if you wanted yeah. to make that. But honestly, I mean, I feel like if this were on Netflix or something, I feel like it's not streaming anywhere. Like I could see like it's on. Prime. Is it on Prime? Yeah, OK, Prime. well, I'm surprised like more people that haven't like, you know, turned it on and been like, hey, that was that was entertaining, you know, especially for a quarantine stream. I feel like like a lot of mainstream audiences now that they know they like Charlize and they know she can do action. I feel like they could tune in and, and be pleasantly surprised by it, you know, especially with the expectations set. I'm really sad that it, you know, I feel like there's a lot of elements that would be applauded these days. You know, it's a Asian American female director. You know, they, they had a female heroine. There's female uh, people of color as, you know, the sidekicks or as the, the enemies. Like, you know, there, there's a lot of good things and forward thinking things in it. And I really think it's terrible that Karen Kusama had to go to like director jail for this, you know, and like because I've seen The Destroyer, which is a, a vastly superior movie. And obviously Jennifer's body like you guys, did you both like that or? Jed and I liked it way more than Ryan. Yeah, I overall liked it. Okay, all right. But she's obviously a, a talented director, and I feel like, you know, like, women directors, they don't have the opportunity to make these big-budget movies very often, and that when, you know, there's a swing and a miss like this, it, it sets us all back, you know, more than it should. And I really wish that they had made this, you know, a successful movie, and, you know, her career would have been, you know, off and running. And, cause, and it's funny, if you watch... Destroyer, it's it's written by the same guys who wrote this. So obviously they can't, three of them, I think it's two guys, can make a good movie. And whatever happened, it didn't happen. Well, in fact, one of the writers ended up, he met Karen Kusama on this movie and they got married and have they're like, have kids. I mean, I think there's- Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> so there's some good things to come out of it, yeah. So yeah, there. I mean, look, there. that is the one good thing I think that came out of it. Oh, and also the the anime got a DVD release and Peter Chong, I think, said that he doubts that that might not have even happened without like, you know, it being a promotional tool for the movie. So, hey, we got a remastered yeah. anime uh, from that. And it is kind of funny that, you know, Peter Chong said it's ironic that it's the exact type of movie that he was making fun of and the whole thing came 
full circle. But and I, I just want to say that if Akira ever comes to live action, like beware of this story right here. You know, like <laughs> we cannot have it. You know, fall through the cracks and try to be Hollywood or try not to be too weird. Make yeah, don't make it first of all. <laughs> but if this type of movie comes up again, you we know, got Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, Ghost in the Shell. Another. Well, we'll talk about that on another podcast, right? Let's let's talk about that on yes, another podcast. Yeah. But imagine if Karen Kusama made that, like you know, like people would have lauded, you know, the the correct ethnicity for the director and all this stuff, and like you know, maybe who knows? Like, might have been received better. After I watched the movie and before we started recording, I watched the trailer again, right? And it suddenly took me back to 2005. I was in a movie theater and I saw the trailer for Eon Flux, and I remember saying, "No, thank you." Right. Like everything about this should appeal to me. Right. I should be into it. But man, that trailer is garbage. Right. And I think we talked about the same thing with John Carter and how the John Carter trailer was garbage. Right. So I blame the marketing team combined with no one knows what an Eon flux is. Right. That's a weird yeah. word. I understand you have to call it that. But like they just didn't do a good job of marketing it. And then it also didn't get good word of mouth because they made a very average movie. As much as like I'm the type of person that gets into like weird, trippy sci-fi shit, I have to remind myself that like in general, the general American audience doesn't want that. They don't want to go see Valerian and the planet mm -hmm. of a thousand cities or whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. Like they will only really only eat Star Trek and Star Wars. That's really the only thing you can serve, right? Right. And so this was like, while it was based on some animated series that most people haven't seen, I think this fucking movie came out and they said, I don't know what that is. And then then the reviews started coming out and it was like, this is actually a really mediocre or bad movie. So like, who's going to go see it? But like at the end of the day, if like college age Rodney saw that trailer and didn't <laughs> think I can't wait to get high and see this, then, you know, you made a bad movie because how are you going to convince my mom to go see it? Oh, I think I could convince your mom. <laughs> That's not what I hear. But like, I, I agree with you, Chris. I, I think there's a lot of great casting in it. And I, I love to see female directors getting really big, uh, big movies, right? I think that's awesome. I wasn't there. I don't know the criteria. I do think that the step from girl fight to Eon yeah. flux is way too big. Agreed. Yes. And agreed. I, I think you're, you're like, it, obviously it's been a long time since I saw girl fight. I know there's boxing scenes in it, but it's not the same as like heavy CG ninja shit. Right. Yeah. And so there's a difference between saying I have a vision for a movie versus I know how to shoot it. Right. And say what you want about the transformers movies, which are all bad. I agree. They're bad, but Michael Bay knows how to shoot action sure. sequences, right? He, he sees the world. Mm, yeah. He does not all the Dude, time. No, what not action scene all did, the time. No, those what, transformers movies turn into visual muck yeah they're fucking like, cool, i can't dude. tell who which transformers it's the robot which, design yes. i agree with you like when he's doing when he's doing something like bad boys or whatever i think he does well or like the rock or whatever. when he does like grounded action movies quote unquote grounded that he does well but when he does like those transformers movies i can't tell which transformer is which what they're doing half the time it just becomes visual garble those movies are such a confusion of insanity. I can't, I can't, I can't go anywhere near that. Yeah, I can tell this is this is this is a touchy subject. Yes, for you. me too. <laughs> At the end of the day, that I like. I don't know why it failed, other than it's not a good movie. This is not a case of oh hey, 
it's not the Shawshank Redemption, right? Where like afterwards no. people said, I guess I was wrong. I should have went yeah. and saw that. It was really good. This is the world's most bland action movie. And I have pity on anyone who watches it after hearing this episode. <laughs> like if I don't know what you guys are talking about. You have, we live in a world where I have access to a million movies and a lot of them are really good. Like I still haven't seen Spotlight. I got to go watch Spotlight, right? No one should ever watch Eon Flux. No one. No, you should absolutely watch Ian Flux. Don't watch Spotlight. <laughs> this is way more relevant to our current world. I'll, I'll tell you, don't take a bong hit and watch Spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it depends. Like, are you high? Do not watch Spotlight. Watch Eon Flux. All right, I'll agree with that. Yes. I do think if you get really high, you could probably enjoy this movie. I, I think they're, just for the visuals of it, I think it is definitely the worst movie that I have talked about on this. No, that's not true. It's not as bad as Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, maybe. come on. Dude. I apologize. That's not I suddenly just thinking of Nightmare on Elm Street. I now like this movie more. This wasn't bad. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps it up on Eon Flux. I'm going to go get some uh, hands attached to my legs. And... I'm going to go have a memory drink. I'm going to pass a message pill to my wife through kissing. Join me in the death garden, won't you? <laughs> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon. (laughs) 